Judges chapter 17. Judges 17, this is God's holy word and he gives it to us, his people, for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me, I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol. I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into the image and the idol, and they were put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and some idols and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, live with me and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How do we know that God will be good to us? How do we know that? How can we be sure of that. Certainly that would be something that uh, we should strive for, or strive to know, to be able to answer that question. How do you know that, that God will be good to us? And as we, we gather around the table this morning, I, I would just like us to, to focus our attention with the few short moments we have left together this morning, to focus our attention on the sufficiency of Christ, our Savior. The Belgian Confession is discussing Jesus Christ as our Savior. A couple of, of phrases that, that really jump out at you. Saying, what, what more do we need? And if, if you run to Christ, if you trust in Him, if you're hiding in Him and abiding in Him, then what more do you need? Because if He is a complete Savior, if He is a perfect Savior, if He is a sufficient Savior, then 
In him you will find all that you need for salvation. He's not half a savior, as the confession says. He's not not half a savior. doesn't get you part of the way there. He either gets you all of the way there or he doesn't at all. And so to answer that question as biblical Christians, is simply to point to Jesus Christ. What is is the answer for how we know that God will be good to us? Jesus Christ. Because of who he is as our Savior, as our great high priest, as our reigning and living king. Judges chapter 17 is a, a short chapter, but I believe it is providentially fitting as a, as a text for a communion Sunday because it points out uh, the glory of Jesus as our king and our heavenly high priest. There is no king in Israel in these days in the time of the judges and that is a problem. But yet we do have a king, a king who bled and died for us, a king who was crucified for us, who laid down his life for us. And that, that creates Uh, love and wonder and awe and a desire to serve him. And then there is a a corrupt priesthood in Israel at, at this time as well. Priests breaking rules and doing whatever they want, chasing after money and uh, making a living wherever they can. And that corrupt priesthood points us to where our priest is. He's not in Micah's house He hasn't uh, defected from the Old Testament system of worship. He is exactly where God appointed him to be. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So those two things will help us focus our attention on the Savior as we seek to uh, come around the table rightly and to, to partake of this great blessing that God gives to us in communion. Let's turn our attention to Judges 17, a vacant kingship and a bleeding king, a vacant kingship and a a bleeding king. We've now moved in Judges from the the catalog of rulers. We finished with Samson, about four chapters there of Samson. And we we noticed that Samson kind of took us down from the national stage and it was all of his personal adventures. He had really largely rejected God's calling And yet it was when he was blind and powerless that God was finally ready to use him for his greatest victory there in the last episode of of his life. But now as we, we move, and he really is that pinnacle of rebellious judges, really doing whatever he wants, doing whatever is right in his own eyes, that's who Samson is. And now we're, we're kind of zooming out even more and looking at uh, the private lives of, of certain citizens And in this chapter, it's Micah's household. As we looked at Samson, we said, wow, the the, the leadership of Israel has really gone off the rails. And here we find that the the average person in Israel, it's the same kind of thing. Inventing ways of worshiping God, doing whatever is right in your own eyes. There are some encouraging signs in this chapter. We we begin with, with Micah and his mother, Micah himself has a name that that sounds religiously pious. It's a name that basically means who is like the Lord. And the assumed answer is no one. Uh, The the English name Michael is similar. Who is like God? Mikael. And the answer is no one. There's, There's no one who is like God. 
So he has a religiously pious name. His mother is concerned with bringing honor to Yahweh. She speaks of him. Blessed be, blessed be the Lord because of you, my son. Um, she, thanks, she thanks God when Micah returns this money to her. But there are much more discouraging signs as well. There's idolatry. You have the, the fact that Micah has stolen this money from his mom, which is not only morally sinful, but almost unthinkable. Right? To steal from your own family, your own mother. Micah only returns this money to his mother when he hears her utter a curse for whoever had stolen the money. So he hears the curse and then probably from superstitious thinking, he brings the money back because he thinks, well, I don't want that curse to come true. It's the ongoing theme in Judges that the people of God are like the Canaanites. Remember at the beginning of Judges, what did they neglect to do? They neglected to banish from the land all of these other Canaanites. And what we see happen over time is that because of that, the thinking of the Canaanite peoples, the paganism, the superstition, the moral sinfulness, the lack of virtue, the rebellion against the created order, all of those things, uh, they come about and we see them again and again in the people of Israel. A reminder to us of the importance of weeding out sin in our lives. Sin is, is like a weed, isn't it? You have to take it up by the roots. If you don't, it will continue to grow. It will con- continue to attach itself to certain areas of your life. It will infect it. It will choke out that which is good. It will bring forth that which is bad. Because of that, we're reminded again and again that we have to do battle against our sin and our sinfulness as we see it in our own eyes. The first, so the first five verses tell us this story of Micah's household. Uh, ultimately, uh, his mom wants him to build an idol. He gives him some silver, go to a silversmith. She says, I want this to be a, an, a thank offering to the Lord. But she does something that's not what the Bible would say at all. She builds an idol. And we've seen that again and again in Judges. Here we see it in Micah's household. And the writer of Judges gives us everything we need to know. He gives us commentary in verse 6 when he pauses from telling this story and he says, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Really, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Some people believe that this is the writer of Judges making a case for the, the Israelite monarchy, for someone like King David. And that's, that's probably partly what he is doing. But I, I believe mostly what he is doing is he's saying, God is not king in Israel. God has already set himself up as king when he brought them out of Egypt. Israel was to be a people like, unlike any other people, to have the true God the God of the Bible, as their king. And they have rejected his kingship. They've rejected his authority. They've rejected his law. And so you can look at them and say, they have neglected and continue to run away from their king. That's the real problem. It's not that they lack a human king. It's ultimately that they've rejected God as their king. King David highlights this very fact, the kingship of God, in First Chronicles 29, he says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Yours is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. 
This is the kind of, this is the rejection of kingship that has happened in Israel. And think about Micah himself, his name. Who is like God? Well, the answer is himself. He believes that he is like God. He's able to write the rules himself. He can can do whatever he feels like doing. He sets up this whole system of worship in his house, in his household, doing what is right in his own eyes. The first five books of the Bible continuously contrast that with the phrase, you must do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. All sin is doing what is right in your own eyes. Neglecting what God has declared, neglecting what God has commanded, and saying, no, I'm going to go my own way. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. In a sense, they become like God, knowing good and evil, by which that means they declare what is good and evil, even if they are mistaken. Something really interesting, too, about what happens in those first five verses. Micah's mom thanks God for having this money returned to her from her own son. And she says, well, now I want to offer a thank offering to the Lord. And so she gives Micah 200 shekels of silver. Did you notice that? Where is the rest of the money? The way that she speaks is almost, I want to give all of this to the Lord. But she holds a lot of it back. What I think this reminds us of and what this points us to is the fact that when we try to honor God and worship him through what we think is right, we pay no attention to what he has said. There is a a system of religion in Israel at this time. God has prescribed it. He set it all up through Moses. It has been declared what is right. But here you have Micah's household. Micah's mother wants to do things her own way. Micah wants to do things his own way. And, uh, of course, this is an offering, this 200 shekels of silver. It's not going to be enough to impress God. And when we bring something from ourselves, it's never enough. It's never enough. God says, don't bring me the vain works of your hands. Don't bring me that which you think is good enough. Bring to me that which I have said I want, that I desire. And God says, bring to me the works of my hands. He says, you, come to me, bring yourself to me, because I have created you for my glory. See, to worship God is ultimately to come to him, to bring ourselves to him and say, I want to glorify you in my my body, in my life. But that highlights another problem, doesn't it? Because when we come to God with a heart to glorify him, with a desire to serve him, we realize that we are not fit, we are not equipped to honor God just with how we are. We come to him with defiled hands and divided hearts. We come to him with mountains of sinfulness, with much that does not honor him rightly. But that also reminds us that when we come to God in faith, we have a king in Jesus Christ who bled for us, who paid the price for us. See, in these days there was no king in Israel. But we who come to God for forgiveness, who come looking to the Savior that he has provided. See, God has said, here's how you're going to serve me. You're going to serve me through the power and through the work of my son. My son, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. My son, whom I give for you so that you might be cleansed, 
So we come to God in faith. We come trusting in the work of Christ. We come trusting in the work of Christ. And what happens is we're so filled with awe and wonder that it is our king who cleanses us. That it is our king who laid down his life for us. That gave himself as a ransom for many. That the call to live a life that glorifies God, all of a sudden, what does it revolve around? It revolves around love. Because we love the king who gave himself for us. We love the king who bled for us. We love the king who died for us. Jesus says in John 14, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. See, Jesus' Jesus rule, his kingdom, his authority, for us, for us who know him, it's, it's not about tyranny, is it? It's because we love him. And that's illustrated for us in the table. We come to the table receiving the bread of life, receiving the sufficiency of his work and our hearts are kindled to want to love him more because we stand in awe of what he has done. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all and it is my great delight to give all that I am. Micah and Micah's mother, what they decide to give, it's, it's never going to be enough. God says, just bring, bring to me yourself. You come to me. But come to me leaving it all behind. Leaving your systems, your ideas of of worship and pleasing me behind. Just come to me with empty hands. Come to me with a a faith-filled heart. And I will make you new. And I will equip you. I will form you into one who can glorify me. A vacant kingship and a bleeding king. And then secondly, a corrupt priesthood and a heavenly priest. A corrupt priesthood and a heavenly priest. Micah brings all of this religious worship home. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of do it my own way. Set up this shrine in my house. Got all these idols. I have an ephod. I'm going to install my own son as a priest. So everywhere we look, he's breaking rules, doing whatever he wants. And he's sort of rejected the whole system of worship that God had given to Israel. But what we see is that when you build your house of religious devotion that way, Kind of a a do-it-yourself kind of system, if you will. You always need to be making improvements. And one of the improvements that he decides to make is that he has his son installed as a priest, but now he comes into contact with this this real Levite priest. And he says, wow, if I can get him to come to my house, then I know that God will be good to me. That I'll have the right people in place. So we see this priest, he is, uh, he's convinced to come to Micah's household. Why? Micah puts in front of him a good salary and clothes and shelter and food. He's convinced to come into the household of, of Micah. And it's a, a sad reminder for us today, right, how often uh, churches throughout the world, perhaps, can convince those to... We'll give you a good salary. We'll, we'll provide you with everything you need. Just come and be the kind of, of pastor that we want you to be. And don't concern yourself ultimately with what God's... Be the kind of pastor we want. And it shows the corruption here in the priesthood. And sadly, we see that rampant throughout the church as well. 
So we know that this priest is doing that which he should not do. He ought to know better. But think about the three requests that Micah makes to this priest. The first thing he says, come and live with me. Come and and be near to me. We talked about his need to make improvements to his house. This is the improvement. I I want you to to come to be near me. I think it'll be good for me if you come and you live with me. uh, Micah has no security. He has no assurance at this point that God is going to be good to him. The second request, Micah says, come and be my father. What that means really is come and have a place of honor in my house, right? Your father always has a place of honor in your home. And here, this is what this means, because we read later on that this priest becomes like a son to Micah. But what he says is, uh, come and have a place of honor in my household. The third request is this, Come and be my priest, which is another way of saying, come and be the one who accomplishes the purification of sins for me. Come and be the one who cleanses me from my sin. All three of these requests remind us of the heart that comes to Jesus. But it also highlights the differences. Let's unpack that a little bit. We want Jesus to be near to us, just like Micah wanted this priest to be near to us. We want to give Jesus honor. We want to give him a place of honor in our lives and in our hearts. We desire that Jesus would be the one who cleanses our sins away. And we know that he is the only one who can do it. But we also understand that our mindset isn't like Micah's. We don't ask Jesus to come and fit into this system of religiosity that we set up on our own. We leave it all behind and we go to Jesus wanting to abide in him, wanting to be hidden in him and wanting to be where he is. Not to make him fit into our lives. No, we come to him with empty hands. We come to him with repentance and faith. We come to him saying that we will leave it all behind. Because it's about abiding in Christ. It's about coming to him. Now we do read that Jesus says, I will come to you and make my abode with you. I will make my home with you. Really more directly, the picture of the Christian life is leaving behind the boats and the nets. And going to Jesus. And trusting in him. 1 John 4, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Think about what Micah says there at the end. Now I know that God will be good to me because this Levite has become my priest. He believes he's now covered. He's good. He's got the right people in place. And so God will be impressed with this system of religion that he has created. But it reminds us that, again, our great high priest, we don't make him come and fit into our system. The question is, where is Jesus? And the answer is that he's in heaven. He's a heavenly priest. So when we ask ourselves, how do we know that God will be good to us? It's because we are hidden in the work of our Savior. He is our king who is reigning and ruling. He he holds the heart of all earthly kings in his hand. And because he is a great high priest who is in heaven. And he has earned that place in heaven. Because of his righteousness because of the perfect life that he lived because he he never sinned once because he never strayed off the path that the father gave to him 
Because he gave himself in faith and devotion to his father. To glorify his father. And to lay down his life as the good shepherd. Because of that we know and we understand that your inheritance is safe and secure. It's laid up in heaven for you. Because you have been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ as you believe in him. Hebrews 4 says this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What that verse is telling us to do is is to say, understand and know that Jesus has earned that place in heaven. And because that is true, never leave him. Never go searching for another savior. Never go thinking that you need to find something else. Never go thinking that you need to make improvements to your house of religiosity. If you are in Christ, you are stable, secure, your inheritance is laid up in heaven and it can never be taken away because Jesus is a perfect savior. He's an all-sufficient savior. He's all that you need. and He gets you all of the way there. He says, in my father's house there are many rooms... And if it were not so, I would not have said I would go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. We know that God will be good to us because everything that he is doing in our lives is bringing us further down the road to where we will be with Jesus in heaven. That's why, as Paul says in Romans 5, we can rejoice in our sufferings. Because it's producing endurance and character and hope. And God is fitting us for eternity. That everything that happens in our life we know is for our good. Because of what Christ has accomplished for us. In Micah's day the priesthood was corrupted. In our day we have a heavenly high priest. In Micah's day there was no king. We have the king of kings who bled for us. Who died for us. Who was a lamb who was slain. And yet lives forevermore. And we will worship him forever we look forward to that great day that great marriage feast of the lamb where we will see our savior and we will know we will know that God has been good to us and we will know that God will forever be good to us Would you come to the table this morning come to the table leave it all behind tell the Lord that you you don't want to build your own house of religiosity you, you don't want your own ideas you want to to stay in what he tells you, you want to trust in what he gives to you, you want to attend to what he commands us to do in the word and the sacraments, and you want to continue always looking to the perfection of your savior and know that all the good that you do in your life, everything that pleases your heavenly father is something that he brings about through the power of Christ. A heart that is completely empty of self-righteousness, a heart that recognizes its need for grace, that is the heart that God wants to see, for he dwells with the humble and the contrite. So come to the Savior. Come and look to him and feed on the bread of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask that you would be pleased to bless us then as we come to the table. You are the all in all of everything that is sacred and blessed. You are the altar, the sacrificer, the sacrifice. It can only be from your blessing on our poor worship when we remember your one all-sufficient sacrifice with a feast.
And then we can discover the deeper spiritual meaning of what we're doing. Until we hear your call, O Lord, we cannot eat. But if you say, eat, friends, and drink abundantly, beloved, we feel confidence that we are welcome here. Then we can sit down under your shadow with great delight. Your food is sweet to our taste. Heavenly Father, we thank you and dearest Lord Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. We say, come today to your table. Sit as a king. Everything at the table is yours. The bread of life, the water of life, the wine of your banquet. Come then. Come to your banquet, to your church, to your table, your house of prayer. Come and bless your people. Amen.